So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1360, it is audience week and taking the hot seat is Andrea Derude, co-founder of Maui Tea Farm. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. At least 10 to 15 years, I've been receiving um, some form of a paycheck once every two weeks. I am able to contribute pre-tax dollars to a 401k or 403b. And so I'm wondering how now that I go um, into accepting a paycheck from myself, just how to make that transition wisely, given the ups and downs of income that self-employed people can have. You're listening to So Money, everybody. Hey, how's it going? You might be able to tell from my voice, I'm not feeling so great. No, my friends, I have COVID. This is what it sounds like to have COVID and hosting a podcast from my bed. I have been binge watching The Dropout and drinking a lot of liquid. It started out as a lot of lethargy. I was quite tired on Thursday evening. By Friday, it was the chills and coughing and congestion. By Saturday, I was okay. I thought, you know, I was up and about. thought I had just the flu because all of the home tests, I took four, came back negative. But I went to finally get a PCR test on Saturday, Woke up Sunday morning, confirmed positive, got the text message that it was indeed COVID. And that dry cough is now a wet cough. And as you can probably tell from my voice, increased congestion. I'm hoping that over the next few days, this will subside. But I'm very fortunate, pretty mild. Again, I just thought I had maybe a bad cold or a mild flu. I'm doubly vaccinated, have the booster. The show must go on. And I am bringing to you what I promised, which is that today and Wednesday, we're going to be featuring some outstanding listeners in the audience. These listeners who reached out to me, first sharing kind reviews on iTunes, then we made time to speak one-on-one together. But in the the process of getting to know each other, I thought, let's record our conversation and have everybody tune in because I think there's something here for everybody to benefit from. And our guest today, Andrea Derude, is is with us from the island of Hawaii, where she runs a tea farm with her husband called Maui Tea Farm. She and her husband moved there about 10 years ago, have been working full-time in their fields and had this tea farm on the side, like a side hustle. Well, now she's finally ready to quit her day job, sort of, and pursue this tea farm full time. So she's got a lot of questions about how to manage the business with her spending, how to continue investing for retirement, because when she was working for her employer, she had all those benefits taken care of automatically. Andrea is also just a cool entrepreneur, had a lot of fun getting to know about her passion for sustainable farming, sustainable agriculture. Tea is the number two beverage after water on the planet. So she and her husband have really captured a sweet spot in the market. And I think you'll enjoy her entrepreneur story. Here's your co-listener, Andrea Giroud. Andrea Giroud, welcome to So Money. Thank you for being so game to be interviewed by me. This was supposed to be a private 15-minute call and you were like, that's okay, Farnoosh, just expose me. (laughs) It's such a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Here in the Hawaiian Islands, we say mahalo nui loa. 
So I'll, I'll throw that out there. It's really, really an honor to be on your show. I'm a huge fan. I've been listening to you since I think 2017. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, thank you for, for proposing this and asking. Well, thank you for kicking us off. I mean, this all started because you wrote a really nice review. I read it to the audience, uh, picked you for our free 15-minute money session. And then when we got the scheduling together and you were sharing a little bit more about who you are and what kinds of questions you had for me, I thought this would actually be really juicy for the entire audience to be in on. So again, thank you for being willing to um, you know, share your story. And let's talk about your story. First of all, you live in Hawaii, which is fantastic, I think. Not to generalize, but I think Hawaii is pretty awesome. It's expensive, but for especially right now, a nice escape. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, Hawaii is composed of several islands. We are located on the island of Maui. If anyone's visited Maui Island or gone up to uh, the dormant volcano Haleakala, uh, that's where we live. And that's where uh, we started our tea farm business eight yes, years ago. Your, your tea farm business, which we're going to get into. Um, but first, tell me, Andrea, did you grow up on the island of Maui? Are you from the mainland or did you always live in Hawaii? I'm totally from the mainland. So I'm actually born originally in New York City. I, my parents are from New York City. I grew up throughout my childhood in different places. Um, my, my parents moved around with my dad's job. So I came to Hawaii uh, because I met my spouse, Alex, in, in New York City when I was in school. And uh, I was quite young at the time and thought, hey, you know, if you don't want to stay in New York, I'll follow you wherever. And so that's how I ended up on Maui, not really realizing that that's, um, that's where I would end up calling home all these years later. And as you wrote to me, uh, as you have you and your husband have established a life in Hawaii. You both have salaried jobs with the goal of one day leaving these full-time salary jobs to support your tea business. You mentioned um, MauiTeaFarm.com. And congratulations, you have actually decided to make the move. You yourself will be leaving your full-time job soon to support this business full time. But, and I have a lot of questions around that. Like, how did you decide it was the right time? How did you make that financial calculus? Then of course, I'm going to let you ask me questions because that's what you're really here for. Um, (laughs) But tell me a little bit about what inspired the farm and how you even made it work with full-time jobs and then running this seemingly robust business. Yeah, so uh, I'll try to be brief because I could probably go on and on. It it took a long time for me to even think about getting to the point where I could go full-time into my business. Um, So my background is as a registered dietitian. I'm actually trained in more of a clinical nutrition career. And when I met Alex when I was in school, I was at New York University Steinhardt School getting a degree in human nutrition I thought, well, that's what you do when you go to college. You you graduate, you get your degree, your license, what have you. You create a career and then you uh, go forward doing it until you don't anymore. We are uh, creative people and we love agriculture. Um, Alex grew up in Hawaii and is really close to both the native ecosystem, Hawaiian culture, and very passionate about um, sustainable living and sustainable agriculture. That was something that 
one of the reasons why I got into human nutrition. So while we were working, our respective jobs, we we did come to Maui, we worked and we thought, well, wouldn't it be great to start something that could really embody our values, uh, but would be our own business where, real, where we really take the reins of what we want to do to earn our income. We're both involved in very meaningful work. I, I still am <laughs> right now, as of today, practicing uh, at our local hospital here. And I think I always will continue to do so. But what one thing I've noticed is that when you work for someone else in a career, even if your work is meaningful, you, you aren't in the driver's seat all the time. There are certain key decisions that you don't get to talk about, or you're not at the table to say, well, here's how much more I would like to make, or here's how I would like to dictate my schedule. And so some of those realities shaped us starting our own business 10 years ago and starting to farm eight years ago. We don't have a lot of <laughs> a financial cushion, especially starting out. We we were students that graduated with student loan debt, and we wanted to buy a house someday. Uh, so it made sense to work and then try to side hustle, which is what I think a lot of us call it now, um, and then just start slowly. And it took a long it is taking a long time. Yes. Um, you you intentionally did not take on any investor dollars. That was intentional or that was something that you tried and were not successful in? You know, that it's really interesting. So I think, think if it was 2014 or 2013 and uh, we had the opportunity to seek investment or seek loans from a bank, we probably were just getting turned down because we were much younger, didn't have a track record of successfully operating a business. We were a startup. So maybe it was both because we didn't know where to look and we didn't, we weren't quite educated enough about what it means to seek out venture mm -hmm. capital or something. But then one of the goals of starting your own business is so that you can have 100% say of what you're doing, even if it means you have to work really hard and it takes a long time. So as time went on, we put more of our own sweat equity, we bootstrapped, we put our own funds into it. It became clear that maybe invested outside investment or venture capital wasn't how we wanted to, to make this um, come to life and grow. Tell me about the business, Maui Tea Farm. It's beautiful. And I can't only imagine how popular it must be, especially now post-pandemic, everybody looking for experiences. And this is a pretty unique experience on the island. Yeah. So our Maui Tea Farm is Maui Island's first and only commercial tea garden because of our backgrounds in sustainable agriculture uh, human health and nutrition. Uh, we're really passionate about doing everything organically, only using inputs that are non-toxic or come from our farm. And tea itself is one of the most widely consumed beverages in the world. Um, mm -hmm. I always tell visitors to our farm after water, it's the most consumed beverage in the world. It's something that has been around with people for thousands of years since the Bronze Age. And it's really well suited to growing up here at 4,000 feet elevation on Haleakala Volcano. We initially just wanted to start a tea company where we had an online retail brand. We blended teas that we imported and, and told a story. But because we are so into agriculture and we live in a place where, depending upon what climate you're in or how high or low on a mountain you are, you can pretty much grow anything in the Hawaiian Islands. Um, so we, when we were even thinking about, well, could we really grow our own tea? And we started it as just a backyard farm. People took notice and were very intrigued by it. Um, and I think 
it's really exciting when you're one of the first people in your little community to be starting to do something. We are not the only tea growers in the state. Uh, there are growers that have been around for about 30 years. And actually, uh, if anyone's familiar with Hawaii and its history, um, there are waves of people have, who've come over here from East Asia, from Puerto Rico, from Europe. Of course, there's the Kanaka Maoli, the Native Hawaiian community that's, um, that's the original uh, stewards of the land here. And so because you have this mix of cultures with immigration waves that came, especially in the 19th century, tea, bamboo, uh, and other fruits uh, came over. So, so tea is not new to the Hawaiian islands. It's been here for some time. Growers have been growing it, especially on the big island Hawaii for the past several decades. Uh, but we get to be this kind of wild west new <laughs> farm here on Maui Island. Just that alone was enough to encourage us to keep the backyard side hustle farm going. I love it. Well, I want to share with the audience a little bit about your financial situation. And you wrote this to me. So you're 36 years old, you and your partner, you do own your house. And so you have a mortgage, you have cash reserves, you have retirement investments. Uh, You say you live next to your mother-in-law. If there is a, a child in the future or children in the future, always nice to have that extra support just next door. But as you write, Hawaii is very expensive. Like New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Well, tell us about the daily spend in Hawaii and like what are the most expensive things you'd say and how have you been strategizing to have savings and have good retirement and have two properties? Yeah, so okay, so living in Hawaii, it's a beautiful place. You have a beautiful access to nature, there's lots that you don't have to spend your money on. Maybe um, in if you're living, say, in New York City or San Francisco, going out and doing things is a big way that you can spend your discretional income. You can do that here in the Hawaiian Islands, but a lot of our budget tends to go towards basic necessities. We're a couple thousand miles from the closest landmass, which is California. So everything that isn't grown here, which is substantial, is imported. And that includes um, if you're driving a gas vehicle or using oil, fuel as well. Most people who are working jobs and paying the bills are are putting their money towards housing, towards food, towards energy costs. We have the most expensive electricity in the country. I, I want to say it's at least 30 cents a kilowatt hour. So that if wow. for those of you that know where your energy bills are at, that kind of puts it in perspective. Obviously, it's gotten worse because a lot of energy and electricity is made with oil. In addition to housing, energy costs, and food, most people here in Hawaii might not make the wages that they get if they live in, say, the Bay Area or if they live in New York City or another metropolitan area. What we've seen in the past two years are people who can work remotely come and live here. That's made some things a little bit more challenging for longtime residents, which is what a lot of communities across the U.S. have seen. If they can afford rent or a mortgage or or don't need a mortgage, then that's changed things for a lot of people on island. And so we're kind of in that boat. Plus, we're in agriculture, which means an organic agriculture is that. So we're, we're doing a lot of stuff by hand. We're thinking about not only how we run our business efficiently and how we are profitable, but 
in addition to selling our goods, are there other value added things that we can offer with our experience? So we do farm Mm -hmm. tours, retail, and other things that aren't just selling our crops, just to make it so that the business itself makes sense. I hope that answered your question. I I think that there's just so much to touch on (laughs) in terms of when you live in an expensive rural area. But you also can live very humbly and frugally. There's a lot to be said for outdoor living, for having children here, for having beach and other public spaces at your access. So maybe it depends upon too what what you define as quality of life as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's all relative. You are gearing up for full-time entrepreneurship, although we should say that you negotiated with your employer to stay on as a consultant so that you have a little bit of a buffer as you make this transition, which I thought was really smart. How did you negotiate that? Yeah, so I am a, I'm employed in healthcare and the the one thing that I will say is that there are various types of positions that depending upon your discipline, you may have the opportunity to stay in the game or to continue to practice with. So I have either been full-time or part-time throughout my whole career. I proposed, what if I became an on-call per diem? Some people might know them as locums, but basically almost a consultant type employee position where you're not given steady hours, you're not given benefits, but you are still associated with your organization. And if you're wanting to practice or be involved in the work, but just maybe more on your own terms, then maybe that's a better opportunity just to still be able to stay involved and not go out altogether. So I'm giving that one a shot and I'm I'm pretty happy about it for both the ability to stay (laughs) and being a clinical dietitian and then because who knows, you know, when you have a small business and given the economic environment, nothing is a guarantee. I own that and I feel comfortable saying that. I think it's wise. And as you write, it's your way of hedging. And as we maybe enter a recession, good to have your feet in both worlds, right? Diversifying your income streams, as we say on the show. All right. So you've got some questions for me and I want to dedicate the remainder of this show to serving you and hopefully also giving the audience some things to think about if they're also in a similar camp, looking to transition out of full-time work to an entrepreneurial endeavor, taking a side hustle full steam ahead. Head. I'm going to give you the floor now. I think your first question is just about managing your money as a self-employed person, right? Yeah. So one question that I would love to have your feedback on is I, for at least 10 to 15 years, I've been receiving um, some form of a paycheck once every two weeks. I am able to contribute pre-tax dollars to a 401k or 403b. And so I'm wondering how now that I go um, into accepting a paycheck from myself, just how to make that transition wisely, um, mm-hmm. given the ups and downs of income that self-employed people can have. All right. So I have a bunch of tips and some resources for you. There's firstly a great book called Profit First. It's by Mike Michalowicz. He's a small business author. And it is flipping the formula around because a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you pay yourself last and you profit last. You pay all your vendors with your revenue. And at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter, you're like, okay, now what's left for me? And that's really not 
the best way to go about it because there's a high chance you're going to end up with negative, if anything, zero. So Mike Michalowicz's strategy, and he's been training bookkeepers across the country to implement this as they help small business owners to profit first, to carve out essentially a salary for yourself at the beginning of the month, first thing you do. Then he thinks that that will lead to more sustainability and it also protects the business owner. You have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can take care of the business. You can actually talk to a bookkeeper or an accountant to suggest a salary although you're the only tea grower you know, in your region, there are probably other similar agro businesses of the same scale, maybe same revenue where uh, an accountant who has experience or knowledge or can make a few phone calls can say, well, this is like the industry standard. This is like the, this is you know, 10% or 15% is standard. So you could go with that. In business and in personal, it's important to create some separation where you have your business money in the business money account and your personal savings in your own personal Andrea account. Now, I don't know how it works with you and your husband if you have all of your money pooled into one account for like you, all of you together, but might want to consider three buckets, my account, Andrea, my husband's account, personal, and then our business account. Mm -hmm. which is where we sort of do all of that. And then that has its own credit card. You have your own credit card. So you're really just kind of keeping as much separate. I think organizationally, this is very, very helpful. We're going to get into things like a SEP IRA, I think in your next question. Mm-hmm. That is baseline for you know how to go about paying yourself and separating the personal from the business. We definitely, we've separated accounts from the beginning, which has, yeah. I agree, it's been good. That's probably why I haven't also paid myself <laughs> because I'm like, no, that's the business's money. So this is really nice to hear. I think budgeting in general, I, because you get a paycheck, if you're a salaried person every two weeks, you know, you kind of are like, okay, this is my allotment. I know what I can spend it on. And maybe if I, you know, don't want to go on a shopping spree up, you know, I'm, I'm all done because my money is up. So I, I think as a salaried person, it's really easy to budget, but sometimes when you are self-employed and if you are able to pay yourself or if you're doing well, it may be tempting to not follow a budget or I personally always think about necessity, necessity, necessity first. And then I don't know even what to do if I have any extras. Do I save it? Do I spend it? Do I, you know, put it in my Roth IRA? Like it's going to be interesting to move forward where I don't have to stick to a wage paradigm, but also I don't want to be irresponsible with it. And I don't want to be too harsh on myself. I think what will help is when you reach a point where you feel as though you have enough of a savings cushion that you can freely start to spend without the insecurity that it's going to have to come from cutting back next month, right? So you run runway. You want to give yourself however much of runway so that you can then go back to your personal savings that you have or that you know you've been paying yourself into this account and then you know sitting back and going okay, got a lot of money here. I want to start to get on some sort of a system where I just know what I can spend on 
X, Y, and Z beyond necessities. And I know that I'm not going to compromise our business and our finances. Now, was part of the calculation of leaving your full-time job such that I'm going to now invest all my time into this business and maybe try to create my old income as far as revenue for this business. So if I was making $100,000 in my in my job, well, I'm going to quit it now and I'm going to come to this business and I'm going to be able to make that and then some for the business. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> One reason I knew I had to shave down on my clinical work uh, and go to the, this more on-call type position if it was available to me was that I was working all the time. And um, starting at like six in the morning until nine or 10 p.m. at night, um, it was going into downtime, weekends. Um, That's not really unusual, especially for people who are very passionate about what they're doing or new entrepreneurs. But um, I've been doing this for eight years now. So I'm thankfully, you know, pretty healthy, take good care of myself. I try to get sleep, but it's a lot. And there's something to be said for wanting work-life balance. So the first part of it was I felt good enough with the savings cushion that I had. And I thought, well, if if something has to give, I feel like our income is growing enough with our business where not only is everyone getting paid because we have employees and lots of operating expenses, but um, I need to give myself a break too because I can't. We we do want to move on with our lives. We would like to maybe have a, our own family one day, and uh, it's it in some ways it's been very helpful to not have children because I don't think it would have been fair to them to be working the way that I have and that we've needed to. Um, so that so that's something that uh, made me make this decision now. But in terms of income, I um, personally and some of my values, which both uh, honestly, uh, podcasts like So Money have with their speakers have really helped hone in and identify what is success, what what is quality of life, and why are we doing all of this work? What's the point? Um, my goal really isn't to be quote unquote, rich or successful in terms of a dollar amount figure. It's to enjoy my day to day. I, I hope to work into my seventies and beyond eighties. I, I want to be really into what I'm doing. Um, but also do it in a sustainable way where I can enjoy uh, my family. I can take trips. Um, I can choose to not work for a period of time and maybe let others do more in the business. So to me that it was, it was wanting to, uh, make that dream and that goal a reality because that's why we started on this crazy adventure in the first place. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm going to do an episode at some point later this summer with my friend, Georgia Lee Hussey, who's the founder of Modernist Financial. And she has this great thesis that wealth has actually four pillars and that money is just one of the variables in the equation for what you know real true wealth is and feels like. And the other variables are time, relationships, and then the other one, oh yeah, investment in yourself. That when people just focus on the money, funny enough, they don't really feel wealthy, like there's still a lot missing in their lives. They don't feel that richness that they thought they would have because, oh, well, I have all this money, but maybe you are working so many hours that you don't have time for yourself, for your family, for the things that you actually like to do outside of work. Maybe you've lost relationships along the way because you've been so focused on building wealth, right? So there's um, more to wealth than money. And I think that it's Mm -hmm. not 
something that we talk enough about, but we should, especially now out of out of the pandemic. I think we've all we're over it, you know, where we realized really what matters in life. And I think it's time to have those deeper conversations. So you tee us up really well for that, for that future conversation. Well, a big thing that's happened to all of us across the globe has been the pandemic. Just knowing that we are getting through, I, I don't, uh, I won't say we're over it because uh, that's a dicey subject and seems like it's really not the case. But uh, having lived through these past two years um, and being scared, being overwhelmed, being uncertain, wanting to make changes professionally, uh, working in healthcare, I felt that um, I, there's nothing that you can't... I, I, I'm not scared anymore. I, I know you speak a lot about fear mm-hmm. and you speak a lot about using fear to your advantage. And and I think fear has, is something that has existed as in starting your own business because we've put our own money into it. We've put time, years of our life. And it used to be something that paralyzed me. Oh my gosh, what? how am I, how are we going to be able to afford this project? Are we going to be able to buy inventory? Should we sign this lease? It's 2020. Is that a good idea right now? And in living through this period, it's allowed it to become an ally, to become fuel, because you can plan around fear and you can make smart decisions um, that aren't knee jerk and that are, are well thought out. And I think that that's something that just comes with time, with talking to other entrepreneurs, um, with listening to uh, great coaches and advisors and podcasts like So Money. You realize that everyone's scared no matter where they're at. And it just is really mm-hmm. what kind of relationship you have to it. Yeah. I'll be sending you a signed copy of my book, Andrea, <laughs> A Healthy State of Panic, coming out next year. But essentially, you just said the thesis, which is that we are all scared. So let's just flex our muscle. You know, let's just be us. We're good at it. Let's just you do what we're good at. But but to your point, really become a uh, have a more mature relationship with fear as opposed to letting it drag us through the mud. Why don't we take the reins and say, hey, fear, I see you. I know what you're going to do. I know what you're all about. Um, Let's go Mm -hmm. this way instead of that way. It is uh, great to hear it through your experience. And before we go, though, I want to answer some more technical questions that you had about investing as an, an entrepreneur. Where's your head at with that right now? This is probably something for the future because I still am scared. I still have fear. <laughs> I don't want to put all sure. my it doesn't go away. <laughs> it doesn't go away. Uh, so I don't want to. I, I don't. I don't think I'm so brave that I can, you know, do um, the level of savings and putting money into a 403b or 401k like I was. But yeah, I do. I do have um, pre-tax investment tools that, thanks to my employer, there's always a small match that was involved, and that's made me feel good just to try to do something. Um, I feel like as a self-employed person, I don't know what the, mm, what the right uh, vehicle is. I've heard you speak of SEP IRAs, Roth IRAs, post-tax dollars are, are great too, as well as a traditional IRA. So as we get more and more of our legs under us, and as I feel like I'm paying myself and okay, it's time that I can start focusing on my retirement accounts too, I would love to hear what you have to say on that boat. Sure. SEP IRA is what I have. And I know an alternative to that is the solo 401k. They're a little different, but essentially both tax advantaged 
investment-oriented vehicles, retirement-oriented vehicles to save. And we say save and invest interchangeably, but really we're talking about investing. You put money in and you can deduct your contributions from your taxable income. The cool thing about the SEP is that you can contribute a lot more money than a traditional or Roth IRA. You can put in, I think, over well over $50,000. So you know, if you wanted to do it that much, you could. And I think with the right, I would recommend, Android that you do hook up with at some point if you aren't already, like a really good CPA who understands financial planning too a little bit and can think ahead for you and say, look, we could reduce your taxable income by this if you contribute to a SEP IRA this much. And here's how we can do it every month. So it's not this huge lump sum at tax season. And it's like really painful <laughs> to part yes. with that money at that point. <laughs> As you grow, and then you may look into getting like a company 401k for everybody that obviously you could be on too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a SEP IRA, I think is something you can open up at any brokerage account. And I would encourage you to still invest. You could roll over, you know, your old 401k into it. Little by little, contribute just a little bit. I mean, right now stocks are down so much, but if you aren't retiring until 70, you're getting in pretty low right now. You're going to be getting in pretty low. So it's actually a good time to buy uh, for first time investors or investors who are have been taking a break uh, and they're looking at the markets and going, uh-uh, not for me. I'd actually say now is maybe looking back, you'll say, that was a good time to get in. Mm-hmm. My advice is try to stay in the game a little bit if you can, even if it's just $100 a month, something to keep it, keep the heart beating. You think it's good to roll over? Yeah, the rollover part is where I wasn't sure if it's really wise to do it right now because of how much the markets have lost. You can do the rollover and I would just talk to the company that is going to be uh, receiving the money and say, hey, can I just park this in if you're not comfortable investing yet or picking your investments yet, you might be able to put it just in cash mm-hmm. in that new IRA and then you know go in and pick your investments or have them pick your investments or say, I want to trickle this in to the, the funds over the course of the year. And they can probably do that for you, but get it in. That way it's done. You know, There's a hack of, uh, it's called Ohio. It's an acronym. And essentially it's don't wait to do the stuff that's not sophisticated or you don't have to overthink it. Like this is a phone call. Okay. This is a couple of emails and a phone call. Like do it because it will become the thing that drags and it's going to get on the bottom of your to-do list. And then I do think there's something to be said about getting in low. I'm not going to say that the market's not going to fall more, but it's not about timing. It's about your time in the market. And if you're worried about, of course, all of that going in to a fund and then tomorrow the fund drops, trickle it in, but get the money in a cash bucket within the SEP IRA and work it. So schedule it so that it goes in incrementally. Got it. Into the investments. That makes sense. But you can talk to somebody wherever you choose to invest. All right, Andrea, it was so nice to chat. I'm so honored to have you in the audience. Your business sounds amazing. When I One day when I visit Maui, I'll be sure to look you up and I'll be sure to enjoy some chai with you, which in Farsi is tea and that is our national beverage as well. <laughs> I, I, would, I look forward to that. And thank you so much, Farnoosh, for your time, for responding to all of my questions. I am a huge fan and um, I wish you all the best as well. Thank you. 
Thanks so much to Andrea for joining us. Visit MauiTeaFarm.com. I'll put that link in our show notes. And coming up on Wednesday, a listener joins to talk about her plans to move to New York City, how to afford it. Oh, do I have some ideas. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.